Introducing, for the first time, Ew. amongst no. family and friends and Fei Long, Stop it Mr. Right now. and Mrs. Anthony Stark. No. Welcome to the Ex Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Mr. and Mrs. Anthony Stark. So a wedding happened. So a wedding happened. We're going to talk about that along with a bunch of other stuff because we got a pretty, another heavy week of comics. They keep on coming. The hits keep coming. If you can't hear it, I'm still sick. <laughs> I hate this. I know. I'm still a little congested too, though. I am, I'm, I'm on the up and ups. I'm on the down and downs. No. All right. Well, let's talk about what we've got to talk about tonight, this week, right now. X-Men Unlimited number 106. Pop, pop. That Sunfire story. Storm number five. X-Men Days of Future Past number three. Days of Future Past Doomsday number yeah. three. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just don't get it twisted. The Invincible Iron Man number 10. Ms. Marvel, The New Mutant, number two. Jean Grey, number two. And Realm of X, number two. Lots of number twos over here. Lots of number twos. Lots of new and exciting comics to dive into. But first... The news! The news! The news! It's news time. You didn't ask me. You didn't ask me if that was the order that we will be discussing them in. No, I just put them. Because it's not. But, you know, it's the order that we read them in. And we'll what talk is about the in a second. correct we'll talk, order? We'll, we'll talk about it in a second. All right? Oh, okay. My bad. It's part bad. of the news. The oh, wedding. Oh. The wedding. First up on the news, Fall of X to Classified, Invincible Iron Man with Jerry Duggan. Ooh. The beginnings of... Their plan, Emma and Tony's, where this came from, that Deadpool cameo, where it came about. Ooh. The unclear nature of their long-term feelings and how they're done underestimating Phalong. A little interesting little juicy bits in Ooh, that interview. Ooh, they're done. They're done. They're taking it to them. Mm. No more. Reveal of a New York Comic Con exclusive variant. Oh, really? I don't know if you saw that. I posted it today on social media, so... When we go to oh, the panels. Oh, is that the wedding image? The wedding image with all the little friends, Lockheed oh. and Jeff and Psycat and Professor Plod and Gosh, darn it. Lucky the Dog. I have to get a wedding image variant. You love it. Come on. It looks so good. It's cute. It's super cute. All the animals are there. Yeah, it's super cute. Meet Saturnine, the White Witch of Otherworld. Oh. In a Marvel little clip get, get you get you caught up on who is she what's she about you know we only know her through ten of swords i mean you only know her through ten right. of swords classic excalibur heads uh, we'll know her before then ten of swords and knights of x, knights of x. Sure, sure, sure. yeah that was like her main bit though and knights of x kind of follows and falls out of all that her Cohen appearances i'd say yes but she does have a deep history in the Excalibur original run. Ah, interesting. And especially now that she's kind of without world to over, Lord. Looking for a new one, it seems. Mm. There's an article highlighting Miss Marvel and Bruno's greatest hits. Oh. Because there's a little, I don't know, you know. Like, they're just friends. They're just friends. Are just they? Them. Because they they kissed in a comic. 
I saw. I read about it. I read these articles. I don't, I don't tell you everything that happens in them, but I read them. I don't tell you everything, but they That's kiss. for you. That's the clickable. Mm. They, I don't know. There's feelings. Well, yeah, but I think that's like, that's what makes it interesting is there are, but they're awkward about it. It's because they're children. Mm-hmm. They're weird kids. <laughs> Ten moments that define the Marvel Universe. An interesting reframe of these key points kind of all set up to build to and reveal the maker and connections to Ultimate Invasion, which the fourth and final issue came out this week. Oh. Kind of interesting, yeah. Uh, the last of that list, House of X and Krakoa, which oh. I thought was a great inclusion, the reason why it's on this list. Mm-hmm. Why it's in our news. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and then finally, personal news. Do you have anything to oh, share for personal, personal news? Oh, personal news. Okay, well... Tomorrow is officially October, and I've already begun the Halloween decorating. Be- hold up. Begun or like you did it? Because there's been layers of decorating. Well, there are still elements that I have purchased that I have not yet hung up. Like the lanterns and the little ghosts for gotcha, outside gotcha, gotcha, and gotcha. The, the, the fabric. And then when my cauldron gets here... You know, there are layers. So I have begun. And I told Justin I want to get the house decorated so that when people are walking around the neighborhood with their families and their kids are riding their bikes, they can go, ooh, that's a house we can go to for Halloween. And then today he told me that someone was walking around, they stopped and they were looking at the house. And Normally, that made me very excited. We have a, a neighbor across the street that has a really wild and interesting looking house. Normally, whenever anybody walks or drives by, all I see is the back of their head. Take not a look at like, our house. Not that I'm like a nosy guy staring out the front window all the time. I guess I am from my old man <laughs> rocking chair, right? Uh, but everybody looks across the street. Nobody looks at our house. Several people I've seen. Yeah. Checking out what's going get on. Even better. Oh, better? Is it? Is That's it? rude. <laughs> and then one other bit of personal news is that I officially have a surgery date. So. Hey. On Tuesday, November 14th, I will have surgery. So if y'all uh, have any recommendations of shows I should binge, books I should read, um, good brands of coloring books, <laughs> let me know. They're coloring books at the dollar store. Yeah, but they're not not—they're not that great, you know? Yeah, I need that good, good hybrid between like a kid's coloring book and like the intricate adult coloring books like i want a slightly just, upscale from a kid's coloring you book just you just know? google and print them yeah do do you do we have a working printer we have a printer we just need ink and paper with paper <laughs> anyway that's my personal news what do you got i struggled for personal news i've still been sick yeah uh i haven't really been doing a whole lot i've been working from home the last couple of days i went for a walk that's, that's good. That's really my personal news is I went for a walk. It's funny because it made me reflect on the one and only times that I've had COVID because it's still, it's not COVID. It's, it's just not COVID. It's, it's just, just long a, cold. A long and terrible cough and sneeze and mucus everywhere. I don't need to share. But <laughs> I went for a walk the other day and it was so lovely to be outside and just like be warmed by the sun. Yeah. Well, the sun is also nice since it's been raining like All the every time. day forever lately. And, and it just dawned on me like how nice it was to just be in nature and be around all the woodland creatures yes. and whatnot. And then, I mean, the other thing is I have been for the past couple of weeks and especially because of being sick, 
soft binging the anime <laughs> One Piece because I was really interested in the new live action and wanted to get a little bit of the the footing in and then brought Alicia in on the live action and we binged the we heck out of it. blew through that I feel thing. like that is the hardiest binge that we've done in a while. In a while. Just because we don't, we're not really binge people, you know, but that was, no, we have to watch two to three episodes a day. A day, multiple times in a week. Yeah. Right. I think it we was, watched that in less than a week. Yeah, we we started it. It's only eight episodes, but still they're like. I think we might have started it on Tuesday night and finished it yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Ha ha ha. That's it. That's all I got. That's the personal news. That's personal news. I'm sick. I'm walking. I'm watching anime. <laughs> all right. Well, why don't we talk about that? Sunfire story. Oh, no, we have things to do. We have a poll, Alicia. Duh. Duh. Come on. We have a poll. Okay, a poll. Four entries into the poll. The poll will decide the order of the books later on. Because right now, the order that you read them in, I put them in kind of narrative and my hype tempered with your reaction Mm because I would probably move some stuff around. But also narrative that, you know, one happens before the second okay so the wedding happens before miss marvel so that's why that happened and then i really like gene gray number one and i really liked i think we both really enjoyed rumble of x X number one but i do want to follow the order of the people this week because i actually really like it and it's how i ordered them in my notes previously before i even had the poll results okay so who won miss marvel iron man gene gray realm of x the fact that like miss marvel and iron man our titles in the X-Men lineup is just kind of crazy, but... I think Iron Man won. You are correct. Iron Man won X-Men Book of the Week, which so many people responded like, ugh, like rolls eyes, or it hurts me to say that this was the best X-Men Book of the Week. And it does. It's crazy, but it was. It was. It was. It was the Book of the Week. Who was For number, sure. Who was number two? Wait. Iron Man by... Yeah, there you go. It was... All right, let's see. Four entries, so breaking that up, that's 25% apiece, but this would be... uh, 52%. 40%. 40%. 40%. Okay. Top spot. Followed... Last in our lineup. All right, if I have to be honest, I'm going to say I believe the people chose Jean Grey next. Okay, so you're playing the numbers. What would you pick... As oh. your second book. Oh. Because, yes, you are correct. Jean Grey won second place. 35%. What I pick as my second book. Um, Realm of X. Wow. Really? Okay. Right. Miss Marvel. <laughs> what? Jean Grey was better than Miss Marvel regardless of how you feel. Jean Grey was number two. Realm of X was number three with 17%. Miss Marvel had 8%. Number four. That will be our order. So, okay. The long-awaited arc... The Sunfire story. Kicked off with an interview on X-Men Monday this week with the Steves, Steve Fox and Steve Orlando. The Steves. There was an interesting tease, and I did a poll, actually, that we can mention here. Oh, and we do have some general questions, so ha ha ha, we're not talking about Marvel Unlimited just yet. <laughs> just kidding. I did a poll because there was a moment from Orlando that talked about how they're going to tie x-men unlimited more and more into oh, right. the overarching stories because of the launch into and out of the fall of x so i asked people do you marvel unlimited and i think i already told you the results i think we talked about it on the patreon oh yes so yes or no 
60% yes, 40% no, which was kind of a big split. Kind of a, you know, not a... 40% of people to not have Marvel Unlimited is a large chunk of the audience that would be potentially missing out on these stories that they're making key stories by using Marvel Unlimited. That's my point, right? So like that many people missing out on this, I think it is intended as a push. Hey, you you want some of these comics? But again, I'll say it every week. They're making... Marvel Unlimited, too good a deal. Yeah. You know? It's, and, oh, this is what we talked about on the Patreon was that it was going to turn into MoviePass. And right. then you told me that MoviePass was back and that led to a whole tangent. Yes, it did. <laughs> you know, it kind of talks to the idea of Barusu 33's point. They thought that the sales discussion a few weeks ago was really interesting. Would love to hear more if possible. And mm. I, I didn't have a chance to prepare anymore. But I do think it's wildly interesting as detailed in my... <laughs> Data He's dive. Gonna make a spreadsheet. I'm going y'all. to do some more. It's it's funny because that transitions to curls. Who when we met generally in real life, she was asking like, what what do you do in real life? Because you love data and you like numbers. And I'm like, well, data is beautiful and tells you all these things. And, and I told you that, and you were just like, well, who are you? What data is, is beautiful. I have nothing to do with math in my work. I make movies and take photos <laughs> and fly a drone and then make podcasts. Oh. Side note, mm. not anything to announce officially, but something down the line, I will be hosting another podcast, yes. which is really exciting. Something that's been cooking in the background. But Curls wanted to say, seeing the page turn noise IRL was a surreal experience. <laughs> LOL. Because I did a page turn noise at the panel. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Amazing. Rem Springer, Remy, and Captain Two Michael both said happy anniversary in oh, this week's question box. You. Thanks, guys. A bunch of other people shouted us out and gave us warm messages. It was our, our wedding anniversary this week. Yes, this is part of why we are recording on Saturday instead of on Thursday because Thursday was our anniversary. Yeah. Michael wanted to know what hero would have a Marvel legend of themselves? He said that Deadpool would think it's funny and would mm. just have it. I mean, oh, like would collect their own Marvel Legends. Yes, yes. Which I feel like Deadpool. Yes, we went back and forth that Tony probably has a guy that makes his own, and he probably has like a whole <laughs> hall of armor of all of his different Iron Man armors. Which honestly, I'm kind of jealous of because that yeah. sounds amazing. Jamie Braddock has his own Marvel Legend. It's probably like a voodoo doll too. <laughs> so you do stuff. And I bet. I bet. Captain America has like a 50s G.I. Joe of himself. Oh, like the for original. sure. The original, and it's still in a box. Yeah. And I bet Spider-Man would have one too, because he would be like, oh my God, so cool. I have a figure. I'm I'm Spider-Man. Miss Marvel, 100%. Oh, you know she does. 100%. She has herself and everyone else like together, yes. and she like builds displays with them and like talks to her friends. Absolutely. One More Summer asked if it was... Just them, or are we pretty much reverting back to the Rosenberg era of X-Men prior to House of X and Powers of Ten? And so you don't know the Rosenberg I era. I got no idea what that means. That is the section of time right before Hawksbox launched. And it was kind of like a... It didn't last very long. Mm-hmm. It was almost like a filler. I don't want to call it a filler because it was a, a solid story and it did try to do some stuff. It just didn't last very long. And, and it knew that it had a limited shelf life. And a lot of the themes are there. Mm. This kind of disjointed, on the run, backs against the wall, you know, which are very much so X Men in general themes. It's interesting. I don't think that we would go back to that point in time narratively. I think that that's gone. Uh, I I don't imagine that Rosenberg would be pitching to come back, but who knows, right? Because they're they're going to be opening up 
pitches eventually. Oh, you have yeah. to assume Brevoort, Tom Brevoort is taking over the editorial line for the X-Men and uh, there's going to need to be someone else that's coming in unless they're doing some kind of shift internally currently on the X-Line to carry out the story sometime. I could see Steve Fox doing something like that, mm. especially with how he's been kind of balancing the narrative with other people on the Unlimited side and with X-Men Annual and Dark X-Men. Yeah, for sure. This kind of time period is giving me the vibes of in The Walking Dead when the team would get separated and they would be all on their own little adventures looking for each other and trying to like get back together, get the band back together. Speaking about getting the band back together, let's jump to that digi and talk about Sunfire. Oh, Sunfire, it's finally your time. Going after Red Root, the story that been teasing me around for months, years... <sighs> I don't even know how long. So we're sending Sunfire to Otherworld. Magic's dropping him off and just saying, hey, man, Good luck. be careful in here. Time works differently. It's a little bit wonky. And, and he, also they hate witch breed. Right. And he he heads to the Crooked Market and has a slight altercation uh, with a town folk, which is disrupted by the Mad Jim. Jaspers. Yeah, who just has all kinds of crazy in his eyes. He is looking a little frightening. I loved the the preview images that we got for the issue just because of that look that he has with Red Root in the little tube. Mm -hmm. Insanity in his eyes. Yes. And uh Jim Jim no longer has Red Root and does this crazy splinter compass into Sunfire's hand, which leads him through a wall that turns into a curtain that takes him on a journey to another land. And we don't know what's to come for Sunfire on this path. What's to come is an epic journey that will play out over the next, I think, six parts, this cool. being the first one. I... Written by Steve Fox and Steve Orlando, art by Lynn Yoshi, colors Fersu Fuente Sujo, and letters Travis Lanham. VC Travis Lanham! I really liked this issue a lot. I thought the pacing of it was really great. I really enjoyed the art. And I was really here for Sunfire's like demeanor and, and sort of like his attitude towards yeah. his mission. And, yeah. you know, when he said to Magic, like, I've been training for this. Like, I've been preparing for this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got this. And I, I really believed that, you know. And I'm really excited to see where this takes him. And then interested to see where... It shoots him out in the timeline, especially since there was the mention of, oh, well, you know, Time's time is differently here. Yeah. No, I thought, you know, I, I don't know that I'll ever shake the feeling of disappointment that this isn't a printed book. Right. In that interview, they talked about how they could spin out 30 or more pages about this. And it's like, you could have made this a one shot right. or a mini series. It could have been a mini. Yeah. Easily could have been a mini. I, I know it doesn't really fall under the fall of X banner and a lot of people might have said that, but if you made it like an oversized one shot, I would have bought this up easily. And I, I'd imagine that most people would because Do they've been you? strung along with this narrative. Do you though? Because you think about like what you often talk to me about of like the titles or like the characters that are going to sell a book. And like if there's a Sunfire story, do you think a lot of people who are not deep in the Krakoan era are going to pick up a Sunfire story? You title it X-Men colon Sunfire's Red Root Rescue. You put X-Men in front of it, people are going to pick it up. And it's just a one shot. It's $5.99. Oversized. Nice cover. Do some hype beforehand. You, All right, well, Marvel better get over here and put you, you on staff. They led into it from X-Men, the mainline title. Yeah, you're right. By Jerry, and that 
is the highest selling of the X-Men books. Like if but, there's anything that's going to carry into a one shot that people are, and, and because of that, and because like, all right, you're trying to draw attention to it. You're trying to add more things. You could expand it a little bit more. You could add another character or two, like, especially with Sunfire having a pretty solid showing in the first lineup of X-Men and being a very prominent Japanese mutant. And I feel like, you know, his relationship with Phalong that was only teased in the beginning, mm-hmm. I'll get off my soapbox and you can say well, anything. Yeah. So, no, I just want to say, like, to your point, though, the hype about it and this idea that they're going to be pushing more prevalent stories to Marvel Unlimited, this story, this lead up to this story, this tease of this story and having it be on Marvel Unlimited for them is a good marketing ploy to say, hey, you have to get Marvel Unlimited. Like I totally understand where you're coming from as far as like now this book itself doesn't live in your collection and you can't like if you ever wanted to go back and reread it and you didn't have the digital copy, like you don't have that, you don't have that luxury with this and that I don't love the push to digital comics because I think the physical comics are like a great, like I just like artifact. reading it's them. A physical yeah, medium. And, you know, and I, I love physical media. The art itself, like yeah. have, I mean, the digital art is also beautiful and and the all of that, but but having the art in your hand when you're reading it and getting to look at it close up and all of those things are wonderful. But I'm just saying from a marketing standpoint, I guess I can understand why a story like this would be a big push into this idea of like the Marvel Unlimited stories are going to be important for you to read like this one, the Sunfire yes. story. I get it. I just don't like it. Yeah, I understand it as a push for their priority of their digital comics. I get that. I'm not mad. I respect it. But actually, yes, I am mad. Kind of like that wedding that happened and how I feel about that. Very different. <laughs> Very different. Totally uncomparable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> On to the tangies. On to the tangies. And I'm going to be honest. I took no notes. I am fine with that. Great. Because this is storm number five. It's the <sighs> final of the storm series. It's funny because like, I love the Days of Future Past Doomsday series. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the best most interesting flashback series that they've done so far. Oh, you think it's better than Bishop? Ooh, that, that was that was that the top about... spot. Sure, sure, sure. No, you're throwing it back at me. <laughs> Playing the tape. Uh, yeah. Meh, mm, table that. <laughs> I think Storm is one of the worst. It's so terrible. It's just... And, and, and it's I try not to say that. And it's just so overloaded. Like, Travis, who is this shade character, who is Grift, who is also Blowback... And yeah. they're all in love with Storm and, and they Mystique hate her. And Mystique is also there. Yeah, and she hired him and, and it's just Because she wants convoluted. to take down the X-Men. It was too much. It's convoluted and it takes place at a time that I love otherwise. This time of like right before Storm becomes powerless, mm-hmm. but basically plays a beat of that ahead of itself where she's like uncontrolled power and, yeah. and what it would feel like if I didn't have my powers. Like, well, buckle up, girl. Because it's, it's about coming. to happen. And, you know... Great spotlight of Rogue in this issue. I think that that was interesting. Great use of powers. Probably the most interesting that the art has been in the five issues. Uh, especially that final page of Storm flying in the sky with the birds. I thought was really nice. And yeah. just kind of like the overall message of it. But I just, I don't know. if it, I think it's the villain. I think it's the villain that I was not interested in at all. For sure. It's like, you know... We were leading up to this. Essentially, this last issue is just the final battle and essentially Storm realizing, oh, Kitty was there for me. Oh, Wolverine was there for me. Oh, Travis didn't really love me. But 
the fact that Travis is three entities within himself, like that, like Travis, Grift, Blowback, the conversations of like, I am currently Blowback, but uh, also Travis is good. Like it was so confusing to read. It was unnecessary. God Loves Man Kills is because it introduces understanding of the character or their motivations or anything. I, I was kind of disappointed because I was really excited to get a storm, like a juicy storm's yeah. past story. And I just really didn't enjoy it. And I feel also like this issue, like we needed the final battle, but I don't think the content of the final battle was meaty enough for an entire issue. And so in order to, I guess fill the pages and, and keep it going I really felt like it was talking in circles and saying the same thing over and over again and it was unnecessary which is unfortunate because I try not to come at like responding to we the are, books we are generally positive people yeah I try not to be like ugh I did not like that unless Ew. you're X-Corp unless you're Children of the Atom you know yeah even so, Children of the Atom had some merits but like unfortunately it's a chop. This is a this it's a no for me, dog. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, let's give the credits. Storm, blowback. Part five, Grift. Written by Anne Nascenti. Art by Geraldo Borges. Colors, Andrew Dahlhouse. Letters, Ariana Maher. VCs, Ariana Maher. Alan Davis and Alejandro Sanchez on the covers. I will say, I loved this cover. Yeah, the cover and is we great. We didn't talk about it. Alan Davis can do no wrong. Honestly, I respect and love Anne Nascenti's past work. Mm -hmm. This is not to be taken as a reflection of her work as a creator. I no. Just, I just did not connect with this title. Yeah. I Yeah. Manorino said, I dot, 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 at least it's over, question mark, <laughs> which, yeah. That's how I feel also, Vaderino. Yeah. On to Doomsday. Doomsday, number three. I am really loving this title. You know, I'm glad because you were rocky on the first issue. I was rocky on the first issue, but the more I read it, the more I love it. And you know what I really like about it is that the pacing of it, the way that it's Jumps jumping years, yeah. years, because we we get it. We know we've had reference to this time period before. We understand what's about to happen in the way that it's going to happen. So the it's almost like an expanded montage, right? Mm -hmm. This entire series is like we're giving you the, the bullet points of all of the years, the important points. We're going to take you through like a 20-year process in five or six issues. I'm, I'm really excited about it. it it's basically trying to take the continuity of the 811 timeline mm -hmm. and clean it up to a point where you could say okay this is this is the story of what happened over there we always knew from 141 and 142 of uncanny x-men this is the basis this is where rachel comes from you know we got that and then others have added to it rufi o'connor had actually shouted out a couple of these pages are almost lifted exactly from a miniseries from the late 90s and i had not read that previously it's wolverine days of future past and so i appreciate that oh, that's rec, cool Michael. yeah uh so to check that out and it just it feels like it's doing that continuity work of tying loose ends together yeah and so first of all the cover i got so excited when i saw this cover because i was like "Ooh, the hounds right especially because we're dealing with the hounds in the current era i'm just i'm excited to kind of make that connection and see how they've been used in the past and also just dig into what they are some some more rachel story 
Yeah. And the other thing that I'm really enjoying is I really like, obviously, where Kate is in her maturity in the Krakoan era, right? Like where she was as Captain Kate and where she's gone now. And so it's cool to me to see another version of like mature adult Kate. She's referred to as Kate. She's not Kitty, right? Like so I'm getting this idea that no matter what her path takes, she still becomes this is like the woman this she's baddie. Becoming. Like this is who she is, yeah. right? And she like stands up for her people and she fights till the last breath and all of that. So that's a really cool parallel of her character for me. I've been speaking of cleaning up continuity. I've been adding to and, and tinkering with uh, the website and some of the episodes and just trying to, I don't know if you remember, the reason why we read 141 and 142, other than it being my favorite classic mm-hmm. X-Men storyline, other than God Loves Man Kills, is because it introduces Kitty as Kate, right? Yeah. And, and establishes this, and plus the dark future and the Sentinels and kind of Powers of Ten vibes. It just yeah. gave all of that. And I feel like that's why this story, this issue itself was largely an exploration on Rachel and Franklin's relationship yeah. and how that threads in relation to the rest of the Marvel Universe, which I thought was really good de- depth and detail. We don't really get that. We haven't otherwise, to my knowledge, gotten... An understanding of what that was, the fact that Franklin still forgives Rachel right. and wants to love her, even though she, under the control of the Hound program, killed his family, right. the Fantastic Four. And like knowing this this detail of knowing that she's still consciously aware, like she still has some free will as a Hound. Because she's fighting it. Yeah, right? and like that idea that she's... She's not just brainwashed and doesn't remember these actions that she's taking and these people that she's killing, but she is, she has those memories. She's like witnessing herself do that. Um, Plus a great Bishop cameo. Yes, Bishop coming in, Storm, uh, Storm fighting and losing her life, Forge. Yeah. And Be- Beast dying, Forge getting kidnapped, like Magneto. The fact that Nimrod is here. Mag- yes, Magneto coming in. And like now that's why he's in a wheelchair. Like, and I'm really loving the how we're seeing like that classic image from the cover of all of the mutants with their their the slain, labels, yeah. slain, apprehended, all of that, like be updated every issue. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. And I'm just I'm really excited about this this title. Um This was written by Mark Guggenheim, pencils by Manuel Garcia, inks by Cam Smith. Colors, Yen Nitro. Letters, Clayton Coles. VCs, Clayton Coles. Jeff Shaw and Edgar Delgado on the cover. Overall, I think it sounds like you liked this a lot. I really did. Which is great, which is interesting. There is a story that I don't know how much it connects to this now. And I remember reading an article with Mark Guggenheim, the writer, on X-Men Monday about how he was tying together a lot of the continuity of this time frame, but wasn't sure if he was including the 141 and a half, I think it's called, or mm. 140 and a half. It's like a half issue printed only in the special Chris Claremont omnibus. I remember this. I think I actually read it. I don't think you did, but you might Maybe have. you told me about it. I told it. you about it, yeah. Uh, Salvador LaRocca is the artist and... Uh, it's interesting because I think you would enjoy revisiting that because it includes a lot of these characters. Bishop, I think Nightcrawler's a part of it. Uh, and it just kind of fits into this continuity as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ju- Jubilee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She crazy. I love it. Vitorino thought that it was a pleasant surprise to see Bishop show up. Otherwise, we're moving right along with this timeline, which I, I agree. You know, it's just kind of nuggets of enjoyment and continuing the story in a great way. Wanda's here? Yeah. 
I'm Red X Baby doesn't like Doomsday, saying oh. that it's trash and needs to go to the garbage. Oh, no. It makes the, them piss that Magneto never slapped anyone, at least once. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's fine. not all stories for all people. Right. If you're not enjoying it, up to you. And, you know, hope you enjoy the next one. Right. On to Krakoa or the fall of Krakoa. Oh, yes. The fall of Krakoa, starting with Miss Marvel, the new mutant. I'm going to say it at the top. Because I said it on Patreon, it's formatted as an Infinity Scroller on Marvel Unlimited. And you're mad about I'm it. I'm mad about it. And I get it. I get it. It's the same reason why I'm mad about the fact that they're not printing the Sunfire story. It's because they want to drive views and content to Marvel Unlimited. I just, it's this that doesn't make any sense to me. What's the point? Mm-hmm. It feels like... It's a disservice to the artist. It's a disservice to the artist. It's a disservice to the, the reader to be able to navigate the story in an interesting way. To be able to feel as though it still has some connection to comics as well. You know, like, the scrollers are fine for what they are, but they shouldn't be the norm. Right. Well, it's interesting, right? Because it's like, in a world where so many things go to digital, and, you know, you think about, like, print newspapers and magazines and all of these things are becoming obsolete and then it's like okay well what are like how many trees are we are dying for the comics industry but then at the same time like i want tangible comics like for the same reason that i want tangible novels and books like i that's how i prefer to read i don't like reading on a screen it's the reason why i love that we have a record player and a record collection right yeah i feel like the shift towards digital, it's funny because I just got an email from Netflix. They finally have ended DVDs. Mm. They no longer send DVDs. And yes, I am one of the like tens of people <laughs> that still subscribe to the DVD Netflix collection because I don't know. Am I old now? Am I just like a nostalgic know, like- for the past of like the way media was once consumed? Because I feel like that's why a lot of these things are making a comeback. People miss tangible media. The fact that I've read so many things about people get excited about physical mail that they receive because yeah. it's so infrequent that you right. get something unique in or interesting in the mail. I I mean, I love, if I'm like, okay, I want to watch a new movie, all right, I'll go to streaming. But if I want to watch a movie that I know and love, I love to just open up that big old DVD binder and flip through it. Like, I'll still go and buy DVDs. I'll raid, I'll spend 10 minutes digging through the $5 movie bin to find like, classics like i like the tangible stuff so and i but i don't like the shift to digital comics and i don't like if you're going to put them so they're digitally accessible unless they were originally intended to be a scroller i think the format should stay in the art's original intent but anyway miss marvel let's talk about this cover i like this cover a lot some classic x-men company i just really like the colors and the style like yeah. It feels kind of like paper Cartoon. cutouts. It does. And I really am into that. And is that Doc Ock? Yeah. Seems like it. All right. Here we go. Page turn noise. Into the dream sequence. Your designed nightmares. This idea that you know it, it's terrifying because it comes from your brain. Mm-hmm. The reoccurring egg motif that seems to be haunting Kamala. And she wakes up. Bruno's there. They're a mess. First day jitters, you know? Hey, you gotta hurry up. Mutant Watch Club has a protest. We're going to it, right? 
Right. If, if you guys need some privacy, I can always just get out yeah. of here. <laughs> I and love then, Kamala's roommate being like, you know, if you uh, you guys want some alone time, like that's cool. And no. that's when they have their awkward like, no, like, huh, we're, huh, we're, huh, huh. we're unclear as to who we are to each other. And then we have this conversation. Kamala breaks the news to Bruno. She's been having this recurring <laughs> dream for just like 10 weeks. It's just 10 weeks, Just 10 Bruno. weeks of a, a nightmare growing repeatedly and just burned into my retinas. It's fine. It's fine. And he's like, got a plan. He's like, okay, you go to class. I'm going to set up a dream factory. Dreamatorium. Or yeah. Cut to the Orcus lab. And, the bad uh, guys. Yeah. Let's just talk about Karima is angry. I mean, she should be. She's like, no nonsense. This is the vibe that I want from Karima, right? She's not jovial, jovial Nimrod in right. the future. She is the Omega Sentinel murder machine. And yeah, she's, she's like, sick of it. Why haven't you figured out who Miss Marvel is like, yet? Get it done. We have this whole thing. I'm I'm just going to slice through your drones, even though they're basically my family. You know, It's cool. And so the plan is we might not be able to... We can't detect her as a mutant for some reason, but we can detect her technology to communicate. So as soon as she communicates with the X-Men, we've got her. Which takes us to our title page. Feared and Hunted. Hiding in Plain Sight, written by Eamon Villani and Sabir Pirzada. Color... Art by Carlos Gomez and Adam Gorham. Colors Eric Arseniega. Letters Joe Caramagna. VCs Joe Caramagna. Sarah Pacelli and Matthew Wilson on that cover. In this sort of conversation about the dream... Bruno brings up like, oh, your dream kind of sounds like Dr. One, of your, one of your fanfics that you may have written. And that unlocks Kamala's oh. memory. Oh, my gosh. I did write about the cosmic sorcerer. This is a sign. All they ever say to her is hello. And the dream never gets any further from there. So it's like, have you ever said hi back? You, you right. try to say something? I like this idea of like, all right, well, now that you know that you have this dream, can you be essentially lucid in your dream? Right. Can she? We don't know. We'll we don't find know. out. We're interrupted by the ESU protest previously announced. Yes. And there is one mutant lover there. And uh, early sympathizer for the mutant struggle. Well, you know, mutants it, welcome. Choose love is yeah, what yeah. their sign says. Choose love. Welcoming people. The fact that they are a woman of color. And this is often the minority story of mm-hmm. mutants feeling that per- persecution. I feel like that's a intentional connection. The fact that Kamala struggles with how she feels like she can't join this other right. person. And she can't she can't use her powers to deflect the angry mob from pointing their anger at this one counter protester because that would reveal who she is. It'll only make things worse worse. And she basically calls herself out for watching hate win. Yes. And so she needs to have a chat with her good friend Sink. And this is going to be a problematic chat because it's going to lead to the drones finding her. But before that, Sink is bringing up Chitari and the research that he's done in it. This radio telepathy that they have. And it seems like Orcus is tapping into that ability and using it for their means. The fact that that would give them a huge level up in communication across their systems. Which essentially must be how they are detecting her communication right now. Yeah, maybe. So Kamala spots the drone. She dons her X-Men attire and uh, 
takes it down. Or so we think. Crunches them down, yeah. But then but then they form into this mega drone and fights back. Yes. Thankfully, she has an assist from offsides, off screen, as stealth suit Iron Man sneaking in. Here to make the wife happy. Little quota of to what's going to happen later on. Yes. And who is your wife but Emma Frost? Emma Frost, who Kamala is basically in trouble with because yes. you deliberately disobeyed me, Simba. Simba. Like, come on. I told you don't go into the elephant graveyard. Don't wear. Don't walk around with a giant X on you when That's we're trying to said. keep you not known as a mutant. This marriage role playing that Tony and Emma are going through. Ah, the- oh, man. Yeah. Yep. Kamala is awkward and uncomfortable. Yep, yep. Her idealism is interesting and just how it seems to be such a core part of her character, the fact that she represents all of these different people Mm -hmm. and feels like she should be the the reason why you understand that this can work together. I'm essentially change minds. The poster child for coexistence. Emma's harsh reality that like, no, people don't want that. People just want to be who they are and fear what they fear. Yes. And I really love what Emma says here when she says, my dear, please set aside the misplaced idealism and try settling for finding peace within yourself. So I don't have to cradle your body someday. I'm rather tired of doing that. For the children, Emma. And then we get this reveal that, okay, Kamala and her secret stealthy helper may have taken down the drones, but they missed the small drone that has nestled its way into Kamala's head. Into her scalp to spy on her dreams. Hey, you got them freaky weird dreams? We want to know about it. We want to know who you are by yeah. sneaking into your mind. So Orcus is going to spy on her dreams and Bruno is going to spy on her dreams simultaneously. It's like they're watching the dual screen stream share, you know, like stream with friends. Kamala's roomie gives them some privacy and we're going to get ready for Kamala to sleep yeah. eventually because, you know, she's a young high school student hanging out with her friends. So they're going to play video games. They're going to hang out. And they're not going to go to bed until one in the morning. Yeah. Natika is not happy about this. She but. finally falls asleep. We start to get the same dream sequence. The dream of the eggs, right? We're taking it a step further. We're making contact with the... Dr. Surfer. Yes. I love this last panel, this new journey that she's heading on with Dr. Surfer. The to way that, me, my board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, totally bringing in Dr. Strange, Silver Surfer, a little bit of X-Men vibes, mutant related because of her egg continuing story. Is this, is this like a metaphor for her combination of parts and that's what she's going to go to? Like, this is all the things that you dreamed of, all you fanficked? Yeah, maybe. One of the things that upsets me the most is that the Krakoan isn't in the Marvel Unlimited Infinity Scroller. Oh my goodness gravy. I love the Krakoan. You just gave it back to me. I know. You just got it back and then they took it away. Good thing we get those tangies. But the Krakoan says, Waking Nightmare. Ooh. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. What does it mean? What'd you think? I really enjoyed this issue. I I thought I mean I mean I really like Kamala and her perspective on being a mutant and her quirkiness and I'm interested in what Orcus is up to. 
I thought the pacing of the issue was good. I mean, like I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I thought it was fine. Uh, I don't. I didn't love it. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It just feels small. It feels like a side story that is strung along with a lot of different plot points. It's all very much so in communication with Jerry's plan for Fall of X, especially after last week's Uncanny Avengers end page. But the amount that it gives me as a story, it just feels like a side story in a solo character's packaging. Like, I love the art, Carlos and Eric specifically, mm-hmm. but even the dream sequence has its own flavor. I like Ms. Marvel as a character, so I'm engaged in it, and her story is carrying me through. It's just in a large line with so many threads from other books. I wonder how this will play into the bigger picture which Mm. it'll definitely play because karima it just feels like it's got high side character energy Mm -hmm. you know you got karima you got tony you got emma you got sink it just feels like it's it's there to help cook with iron man x-men and uncanny avengers i hear you i'm i see what you're saying i think it's also important to have a mix of book of a title that that feels a little bit lighter in that like okay in my mind comparison comparing this to Iceman where like Iceman feels lighter but I also feel like it doesn't really feel connected and it feels too light and this feels like we're still tapping into the Orcus problem and the severity of the situation but we have this younger perspective this person who is new to this idea of the hate the hated and feared of mutants and so doesn't quite understand the gravity of the situation and is slowly starting to understand i think that pacing wise i i think in the next issue i want to get to the bottom of what kamala's dream means and if we don't do that then i would feel a little bit more upset about it but i don't know i really like it great Edward III said Ms. Marvel and Iron Man seem to be tying into the main Fall of X story the most with their minis so far, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting. It, it feels like Fall of X is a Jerry Duggan creation, mm. which makes sense. You know, it, it builds out of three of his books. Yeah. And they are all clearly in communication with each other. This feels like the most in conversation with those other three books. Warline says that this feels like it's Iman's writing, a f- fan writing good fanfic as a compliment Mm. also emma calling out kamala for wearing an x-men costume is great but begs another in-universe question why did they give her an x costume in the first place which they gave it to her before the fall of x right they they wanted her her before the gala yep they wanted her to be this voice of the mutant people to to come out to them as a mutant but she wasn't interested it's the only thing that she had basically because i'd imagine that her original costume was destroyed when she was killed mm. Morline also called out tony can't stop annoying emma and i love it mm. yeah vaderino doesn't know what to make of this like literally just ask emma the psychic therapist to, to take a peek am i wrong and i'm like history wise emma being a therapist not great. I mean, ask Scott and Jean, but I do hear what you're saying that like someone to interpret your subconscious thoughts that might be, it's interesting because I feel like that calls back to the first issue where she didn't want to bother the big names with this small problem. That she right. Felt. I also feel like she is self-conscious about the problem and doesn't, doesn't feel comfortable bringing it to anybody and, and, and also is trying to push a, push away the fact that she even has a problem and you have to think like she's an adolescent she's not going to think like 
oh, this person can just tell me she's going to be like, I'm going to figure this out on my own. Like that seems to be kind of her MO is like me and my friends got this, you know? So Mm. logically, yes, Emma could probably look into her mind and see what's going on in her dream, but... Comics, no. And teenagers, no. She wants to seem cool, you know? She wants to seem cool, calm, collected, like I'm an X-Men, I got this. And if she admits that she's having some kind of problem, then she doesn't seem cool. Right. Into the alternate realm. Realm of X. Magic versus Mary on the cover. The ultimate angst-fueled infighting. Mary is officially on my radar thanks to this book. You know, mm. Magic pulling through, adding what she can in these trying times, just trying to become some semblance of her former self. I very much like the symbolism of this cover in that Magic and Mary are in sort of like an emotional battle with each other. They don't physically fight each other in the issue, but Mary is going at magic pretty constantly throughout. And this this cover does have a lot of fiery action, so I'm into it. Mm. Here we go. Page turn noise. We get Curse's gala details. Magic forcing her to come with them and go through the gate. The fact that she's telling the story to Saturnine, recapping what happened at that day, and makes the exclamation, not with Xavier. I'm not going where he's sending us because I don't right. trust it. And so there we go. That's how, how did we get to this other realm? Well, Curse sent us there. But also, Saturnine is twisting it, and she's like, oh, they don't love you, they don't respect you, and also they left without you. They're trying to. They're trying to go home without you. They're, they're, right. Your Which friends, is not true. Your friends will find them tomorrow. They're not my friends, right? Mm, Saturnine is playing curse. curse left and right the yeah. entire time. Right. For sure. It's a title page. The Wolves and the Lamb. Lost Lamb. Double Lamb. <laughs> Written by Toron Grunbeck. Art by Diogenes Neves. Colors Rainbow Barreto. Letters Clayton Coles. VCs Clayton Coles. Stephanie Hans on the cover. A little magic and dust on Recon. Mm-hmm. There's a mystically barren place causing an impact on this land. Mm, it's not just affecting magic. It seems to be magic with a K. It seems to be affecting the magic of the land as a whole. Yeah, they've always been talking about the lack of access to their magical forces here. This place that prides itself on the ability to see into the future, to have... Those, those visions, and, and nothing's kicking. Nothing's happening. And these two are, they're exploring this, but they're also out looking for Curse. And they seem to be continually out every day looking and fi- trying to find Curse with no success. Yeah. This siphoning power, this wall, sparks an idea. And magic runs back to the house. The house of Moat. As Mary is in training and... Flirting with some temptation, it seems. Indeed, she is a little flirty there. And I just want to point out that I feel that magic, since she doesn't have access to her powers, this sort of like research assistant is how she's finding her purpose use in the group, right? She's like, well, I can spend all my time in the library and get to the bottom of what's going on here. But yeah, Mary's definitely flirting with this guy. Hardcore, Wilson Fisk. Would be mad. Yeah. Vonos is also smitten with Mary as he's teaching her the longsword. Ooh. Yeah, right. <laughs> Magic runs into the library, talking to the librarian about Godarf's unintelligible prophecy. They were a poet, not necessarily just a prophet. So, But they did talk about this fifth mutant 
calling them chaos, not necessarily curse, but alluding to the power. And that visual looks exactly like curse. That drawing is curse, indeed. This data page talking about the actual prophecy six weeks ago, the fifth stranger in the walls, this preoccupation that Joanna Thornwood has, disrupting loss of magic throughout Vanaheim. All the details that we've kind of known about this world coming through us in this diary entry. Cut back to the Emberstone Citadel. And Curse uh, is having a little feast. Saturnine's plotting. Yeah, she's making some adjustments to the place that she's in now. She brought back these Cerulean toads. The fact that they had been extinct in this land for a long time. And Saturnine says to Sana that... She can't just ask Curse for help. It would be at a great cost to her, potentially claiming her life. This needs to be something that she chooses. And so to get her to choose it, Saturn is <laughs> basically going to let Curse accidentally stumble upon this information. Oh, this? We're just we're just kind of trying to summon the magic that would help and save this entire realm. You don't it's, need to know any not, about this. It's not really here. We can just sort of see it in a portal, but we can't really get to it. What's the Dewey Cox movie? It's like, you don't want anything to do with this. It, it's a drug and it cures all your problems <laughs> and it makes you think happy thoughts. No, we're not endorsing drugs. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But, you know... Curse is intrigued now. She she wants to know more about this thing that's so weird. Saturnine says, yes, yeah, so weird and so, weird. so frustrating. But you can help us. Outside the castle, we have our two ladies snuck up on by some bounty hunters. Yes. So Danny and Marrow are they're they're inching towards the citadel it's the only place they haven't yet explored in search of curse and these bounty hunters are talking about the Verus ceremony for one-year-olds this blank future seemingly caused by our mutant guests the fact that they can't see what's to come Mm-hmm. meryl's want... just not having it yeah danny doesn't want any trouble but meryl wants all the trouble meryl's like i'll kill you leave me alone it's probably my favorite panel of the week Ugh. This, this, this page yeah. with Mara with the, her arms the, crossed and yeah. Danny behind her. Yes. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Followed by this dope fight sequence between the two. Dust coming in with insight on the wall. They're all worried about magic. I like that suddenly Danny speaks in the language of the realm and she's asking about Mary and she says, but what of Typhoid Mary? <laughs> I mean, they've been there for six weeks. You pick up up a couple friends. She was a Valkyrie. She's been there. What of Typhoid Mary? Well, she has demands. The fact that you've been out there for all this time and you've got nothing. I want to go home. I'm not here with fake Legolas because I want to be here. I'm here because we have to be. Aren't you a Valkyrie? Don't you have some pull in Asgard? Can't you figure that out? Danny's like, listen, I tried. I've reached out. We've heard nothing. Yeah, Asgard is not responding. Mary's just pissing off everyone, especially Magic. Can't you, you can't go to the fight because you're a liability. You're just going to get us all in trouble. So the big fight that has been prophesized is coming up. And basically Mary's like, Magic, you have to sit this one out because you suck. And that really stings. Magic is going to go sulk and cry in the corner and it's not going to end well, I don't think. Catch up with those outreaches to thor is like yo thor like bro come on what up but hey there's no response 
The White Witch here is building power. We'll, we'll fight her. You joining? You coming? Thor, are you coming? At least answer us. At least say, no, I'm busy or yeah, I got something whatever. else. Yeah, A response is needed, my friend. As we head off to the White Witch's quarters. She's torturing some lady. This, not just some lady, but this is our poet prophet from mentioned before. Oh. Joanna captured talking the changing versus controlling fate. You have to be willing to give up something precious or will you fight instead? They're forest wanderers. They're on their way and then something, something starts happening. Memories coming alive in their minds. If magic was here, she would totally know who was messing with you, what was going on. Yeah, but you made her stay home, Mary. And Danny is like, listen, I'm familiar with this kind of business. This isn't real. Okay? Fight it. It's not real. Ignore it. They're Keep gonna it go, going. Go inside and see this magical town. And, and hear screaming in the distance. And what is happening back at the base is Magic is writing individualized notes yeah. to each member of the team. Because she's going off. She's, she's running out. away. This little split screen story of Saturnine's decision to kill the intruders going against Joanna's prophecy, the words that she was saying before, as Magic leaves. So we're definitely on our setup into... The third issue. What will happen next? Into the lion's den. Ooh. Arthur Cohen. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I loved it yeah. because I love mythical stories and I love magic. And I'm it's really interesting for me to see her in this in this place of really struggling. And I know there's been a lot of conversation about like she should have other skills or she should be able to yep. To do other things, but I just think from a character angle, seeing her navigating how she works in this world and feeling lost is an interesting perspective and story for Magic because I generally see her as a very confident character, and right now she doesn't have her confidence, which is interesting. I really, really want Curse to destroy Saturnine. I'm really excited for when she realizes that her friends are back and looking for her and that Saturnine has been lying to her and the destruction and the terror that she brings to Saturnine's table. Yeah, and hopefully she does not give herself to Saturnine's plot. I feel like she's not going to if we're going along with this idea that the prophecy sort of says that Curse is the linchpin in them winning. I don't know. We shall see. We shall see. Curse being a brand new to the Krakoan era story makes me feel like she could die and especially the way that no. her, her powers are set up i think that that narratively is there but i i want to like this book I, I i enjoy it i want to really enjoy it and that's making me power through it it has so many interesting trappings and concepts like i i kind of hate saturnine I'm just oh say yeah that. she's the worst the whole swirling poetry of prophecy becomes more work than fun at times when I'm reading it. It's funny because the character stories, they're super interesting and moving forward. And we're slowly finding out the witch's plan. I'm interested to see what magic and curse will do, as well as what's going to happen to the four who just entered the castle. Like, There's a lot that when I think about the issue reflectively, it feels really cool. But when I'm reading it for the first time, I don't feel like I'm enjoying it as much as I want to be. It's funny. It's This is how you're feeling about this book is how I generally felt about Cy Spurrier's work, like the sure, yeah. the um, Legion, Legion of, X. of X and all of that, where I was like, oh, this reading these words is 
fumbling my brain and it's not making me enjoy this. But then when we go back and talk about it, I'm like, oh, that's a really fun story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would 100% agree with that comparison. Barusu33 calling out Mary being a lot more fun than they thought she would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? She's, I mean, she's as much chaos as the prophesized curse would be. Indeed, indeed. And I like that she's like, you know, the wrench in the plan of like everyone else is, okay, we're here. We, we've got this. We're in this situation. We, we can't quite get out of it, but we're going to try to make the most. We're going to try to help. We're going to explore. We're going to do something. And she's just mad. They're all X-Men. Right. I feel like that's the divide. They all have worked together in some way. Maybe not on the same team, but they all believe in the same mission. Mary, largely chaos and villainy to an extent. And like, the thing is, she's like, I want to go home. What the heck? And it's like, Mary, what are you doing? Like, are you, have you helped at all? Have you done anything? Have you tried to figure out a way for us to go home? No, you're just over here flirting with Longsword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vaderino says it's easily a great team. Even if Mary is a jerk. (laughs) But where are Betsy and Rachel, all caps? Right. Where are they? Well, so this isn't Otherworld. Right. This is one of the Nine Realms, Ten Realms, who knows. But Betsy and Rachel are bopping all around the universe. They're bopping all around the multiverse. So they are going to different universes. I don't know, you know, if if you tried to put it out on a map, I don't know how this (laughs) relates to otherworld combination of dimensions and realms you think about the thor core and all of the other thors is this realm only existent on the 616 in the 616 Mm. universe because of there being instances of so many other versions of thor so there must be so many other versions of asgard yeah interesting yeah i was toying with that i mean i also want to know where betsy and rachel is they didn't have a plan for this this arc they were going to continue the story that was happening in bbcb but that just didn't happen just didn't happen darren is just a teacher really doesn't like how they voice magic she's a warrior who wouldn't wilt so quickly and i agree you know i i was listening to and almost jutted in when you were saying about how this is an interesting element of magic's character and able to explore a different side of her it just for me having read magic in a variety of different ways feels like it neglects all of who else she is Mm -hmm. and and is kind of like doing that in a disservice to the character that we have known all along. Well, yes. Okay. I I totally hear where you're coming from. I see that. I just think that in knowing that about the character, that there's more to come of, you know, like what's about to happen. I think that she's – her the first issue, she was super down on herself, didn't have any idea what her purpose was, didn't have any motivation to help. Now, second issue, she's been doing a lot of research. She's trying to find a way to help. She's still getting beaten down by Mary mentally, but she does have – she does have this motivation, I think, to figure out how she can help. And now I feel like – her leaving is going to be the key. Like whatever her solo mission is, is going to be her getting her groove back. And I I hear wholeheartedly what everybody's saying, but I think that if you have a character who is, you know, strong all the time, it's a disservice to them. They have to get knocked down once in a while in order to build themselves back up and to have character development. So I get it and I respect it and everyone's opinion is valid, but I think that it's going to mean good big things for magic by the end of the series. Hmm. 
Warla, I'm pointing out that if you want to know where Thor is, ask Al Ewing. <laughs> also, when Kingpin applied for Krakoan citizenship, he didn't realize that his wife would be going off and finding someone else somewhere else. Right, you exactly. Fake Torta loves the cast of Romomex, but the story isn't working. Stop using Saturnine plotting. Art is so generic, it's bad. Which, I, I, so I agree with Saturnine. I don't like Saturnine. I actually kind of like the art. Yeah, uh, I do too. I, I had no qualms with the art. You know, the, you opened up to my panel of the yeah. week. I think that that is a beautiful page. I don't know. It it does definitely just feel like X-Men comics. There's nothing like pizzazz to it. But at the same time, I think that Mary is rendered in a really interesting way that I haven't seen her previously. I, I think, like the backgrounds of the layouts. Yeah, the, the fact that it is this mystical realm so it's bringing in all the inputs of that world and society i don't know gene gray gene gray gene gray gene gray how did you feel about this in relation to issue one i think that this was clearer for me about the idea of choosing you know, like changing the past well, and how having, it went, having right? Talked having about talked about it, um, it was easier to, I think, understand. In that, I, I don't know, it felt like it was written differently, like written in a clearer view of this. What would happen in this way? Like, I think she said, I don't know. Maybe I just understood it better it also, because we talked about it. It but, also stayed tighter. Yeah. Right. So. The first issue went on a multi-year adventure mm-hmm. after that choice was made. Like, this is right. how the rest of their lives essentially played out. Right. Whereas this was like, okay, here's a choice. Here's almost immediate after effects. Right. And then, ooh, okay, not that choice. Not that choice. Right. I think I know what the choice is, but we'll get there. Oh, geez, Louise. Okay. Well, this cover. I love this cover. This cover is so gorgeous. Oh, my God. <laughs> the couple the fire and the eyes it's so dope it, it just like their costumes 90s scott and hellfire gala jean from last year can we just talk about for a moment what your uncle posted for our anniversary yes it was the classic image of scott and jean on the blue area of the moon and you know it, it was funny because <laughs> It makes sense. Logically, hey, you guys love the X-Men, and these are two of the leaders of the X-Men. Alicia has traditionally had red hair throughout Indeed, most of the I time. Have. And uh, snap back a little bit of like, I will never be Jean, even, though, even <laughs> no matter how well I cosplay Cyclops, Alicia has refused to be Jean in any way. And my uncle said, okay, Madeline Pryor. And honestly, you couldn't have said a better <laughs> thing. She was so excited about that. Yes, I will be Maddie 100% all day, every day. Oh, man. So funny. But this cover is so gorgeous. Like, this is art that I would frame. Yeah, for sure. All right. Here we go. Page turn noise. <laughs> Reflections and a little realignment. Some last issue, this issue recap. I, you know what I like about this page? What? This felt like a throwback page because oftentimes when we would go through, like we would do our Retcon Wranglers episodes or something like that, like the title page mm-hmm. was always like a 
an image of sorts and not just like a book and title page. And yeah. this, the way it says Dead Reckoning on the bottom, and then when you go to the title page, that's the title of the issue. I was like, that's cool. Yeah, it definitely has classic vibes. I think the first issue did something similar with the mind maze on that first page uh, in, a, in a full character shot of Gene. And it's the fact that Louise Simonson comes from that era of writing. Right. right. Like, like she, most of the work that she's known for is from the 80s and 90s, you know. But anyway, Gene is deciding, hey, in this moment, what if I did things differently? What if I went back to the Phoenix Saga, the initial encounter with the Phoenix Force, and instead of... So we get this little recap page of what did happen. Yes, this right? is what happened, if you didn't know. This is all classic stuff. I think that the the first issue could have done with a little bit of this. That this might is have, why I was uh, saying it felt yeah, yeah, clear. Yeah. It felt more in line with what it was trying to do. Because she says, this is how it was. Right. And then this is how it turns out if I change it. Whereas in the first issue, it was a couple of word box that were like, what if this was different? And, and then and, I was confused. Sure. <laughs> also, I feel like I know this story better well, yeah, because actually, we've talked about it. actually went through this yeah. story versus we only referenced... The start of the 05 going back. Right. Not right. the aftermath. Title page. Flames of Fear. Dead Reckoning. Written by Louise Simonson. Art by Bernard Chang. Colors Marcelo Mayolo. Letters Ariana Maher. This is Ariana Maher. Amy Reader on that amazing cover. Gorgeous. Amy, Amy Reader and Stephanie Hans are probably two of my up and coming favorite mm. comic book cover artists. Uh, Stephanie Hans was the cover artist on Roman Vex. Mm, nice. Just everything that I see from them has been really, really beautiful. Wolverine's going to fly the shuttle. Well, you know, he does have healing factor. It makes sense. You know, it's, it's funny because the back and forth of their initial confrontation that they then align and readjust, you know, he's making a good argument. Right. And Gene was basically like, no, why would you do that? I have, I can make a shield for myself. Like, I am a shield. Right. I saw a meme. Girl, I, posted, I am a shield. I posted it in the story today. It was like, you can tell that Wolverine is a Canadian character written by an American writer because their superpower is healthcare. <laughs> oh, that's good. So in this darkest hour, Wolverine decides he's going to pilot the ship. And Scott decides this is the best time to say I love you. Near-death well, experience. He's just scared. Sure. And just that moment when they kiss, this is a part where the art is so great because you can see, like, the sadness and the fear in Jean's closed eyes. Mm-hmm. Right? And yeah. she's... So she's still communicating the with ra- Logan. The rapport yes. with Wolverine because she now discovers, Logan, that's what you call yourself. Ah, I Logan. love these two panels. Probably up there for contenders of, you know, this one was in the preview pages. The second one on the next page. Ah, yes. Oh, the the fracturing of his mind going deeper into the hidden memories that were not revealed to him. Yes, The psychic blocks that had been put there by Weapon X. Yes. The, The tears streaming down her face as Wolverine's fighting to land this plane to crash into Jamaica Bay. He lands it, they survive, and emerges the Wolver Phoenix. Ah, Phoenix Rain. Fiend. Fiend. Oh, no. All right. 
I'm after revenge. I'm going after Weapon X. Thanks for unlocking all those memories. Now I'm going to murder some people. Now I am a deadly weapon and they shall pay. I got claws everywhere. Yeah. I got bones sticking out of bones sticking out of bones. And he's off. This next page is a callback to the classic comic story. The immediate next story was, hey, X-Men, we've been doing a crazy lot of stuff. It's time to go on vacation. Yeah, and, and so Charles they, is a dummy. <laughs> and they send a lot of the team off to Banshee's estate where they interact with Black Tom and Juggernaut, who are on a little boys' night. And that's when we first find out that Nightcrawler can disappear in Dark Shadows, become ah, invisible in Dark Shadows. Interesting. Interesting part of his mutation that is often overlooked. But Gene and Scott say no. Well, Gene says no. Yeah. And Scott says, all right, I'll come with you. I'll do whatever you do because I'm afraid that you're falling in love with the crazy guy. Yeah, something's up. You're too connected to Wolverine, so I'm going to follow you. Where are we going exactly? On a side quest to Canada. These reflections on their relationship. So the relationship that Jean has with Scott versus the relationship that she has now and will have throughout time Mm -hmm. with Logan. And I feel like that's probably my favorite part is just Louise tending to the larger narratives of their stories, Mm. kind of giving you little pieces here and there about things that are reflected from their interactions across time. Yes. It's a compassion and empathy, but not romantic love in the same way that Scott seems to be fearing. Right. It's an understanding for this idea that a part of yourself has been hidden from you and that you don't, you don't always know your own strength or what you're fully capable of doing. So they're at the Weapon uh, the Weapon Plus facility, and there's a lot of dead bodies in there. Yeah, this anti-mutant army that they were building. And we're seeing, oh, it was more than just Wolverine who was experimented on here. Scott, get us inside there. Yeah, I mean, he was Weapon 10. And then they kept on going after he left, after he killed the leadership the Fiendverine, the, the, what did you call it? Wolver Phoenix? Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what do you like better? Fiendverine. I do too. Okay, cool. I roll. Of ah. course, you had to come up with the name, but it's fine. Scott, the, I beams them in. The snicks everywhere and the berserker <laughs> rage that he's, he's just popping everything. I am retribution, destruction, and death, which is totally Phoenix. I mean, I'm here for this version of the Phoenix and yeah. kill all those weapon people. This is this is Dark Phoenix. This is I am fire and life incarnate. Now and forever, I am Phoenix. Yes. And and Jean's, she she can't get to him. Scott's like, you got to chill him out. And she's like, I, I can't. He's berserk. He's gone, you know, he's gone off the deep end. He's got to do this. He's got to process this. He's got to fight this fight before I can even connect to him. This page right here makes me remember and think of Weapon X, the story by Barry Windsor Smith, Mm. which details how Wolverine was experimented on and got his adamantium skeleton, which is really a classic Wolverine story. The spikes ready to kill everyone just shooting out blind rage unaware of who's there and who might be caught in the crossfire so everyone dies except gene and scott because gene protects them this page the fire like wolverine is reckoning with the fact that the fire the rage it took him over kill me now you have to kill me scott immediately is like yeah we gotta okay, kill him yeah great. it's the only way we gotta kill him 100 percent. let's do it just right he, now he's dead now all right gene, let's go do you even do you even care? I'm going to kill him. Yeah. 
Okay? I'm the hero, Gene. Look at me. Look at me. I did the, the hard thing. I did the hard thing, and then, boom, the phoenix is like, oh, you want to be my new host? You have the passion and desire that I crave, the emotions that I can feed off of, this overwhelming cosmic power. It must be you. Phoenix's desires working through Scott. Gene wanting to connect with him, wanting to see him. Yes, look at me with your special eyes. My brand. <laughs> you can do it. You can control. I just th- this part was kind of kind of getting me. It's like, okay, Wolverine says, "Kill me." We kill him. Scott's like, "No, I take it back. Kill me." Wolverine's like, "Yeah, bub," and then kills him. And yeah. then and then it goes back to Wolverine, and then Wolverine kills himself. Self destruct. And- and everybody's dying and everyone's a mess. And, and Gene in the white hot room goes, no, 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 that wasn't it. Okay. Cut, cut the tape. Enough. I've, I've seen enough. That's not going to work. This is not it. Let's let's play this again. Oh, wait. Maybe Madeline is Madeline the and my demon parents down as dogs. Yeah. I got to read Inferno. Yeah. That's on my list for a post-surgery read. Great. Mid-November. Inferno, baby. Next, Obsession. By Calvin Klein. <laughs> is that what the Krakoan also says? It yeah. is Obsession. Obsession. In Krakoan. What do you think about this? I definitely liked this issue better than the first issue. Um, it's interesting because a lot of people that love the first issue thought that this was a step back. Oh, from interesting. That. Which, But I'd agree that this, this felt similar to the first issue. This hit everything for me that the first one did. I feel like I liked it better because it was what you said earlier. It was more condensed. It was less complex. It got to the idea that we're going to test out this alternate this alternate ending of, of this what could moment be. in time. And yep. then... We're going to say, oh, no, that doesn't work. Let's get on to the next thing. And I like that because it feels concise and it feels like we got this story. This is wrapped up. Move on to the next, which is going to take us to the bigger picture of like how it is that this is going to tie into the fall of X and like what the answer is for Gene. Yes, that's what we all want. You know, there were parses that I really liked. The character story and Gene's relationship with these two men, I thought was really well done. The way that she cares for each of them in unique ways. This is a a time that I know really well in comics. I've read several times. So it was a lot of fun to play in this what if. That being said, the whole, I'm the Phoenix, you're the Phoenix, hot potato was kind of silly. Scott becoming the Phoenix was spoiled for me online. So that might have had more impact to me personally. Well, how was it spoiled to you online? Like someone, you saw someone post the pages? Yes, because didn't the cover of the issue kind of give that away? It did, but the preview pages saw Wolverine taking the Phoenix. So I didn't know if it was just someone gotcha. else takes the Phoenix. The fact that he actually becomes the Phoenix, yeah, the, the cover, sure. But either way, it was a key page late in the book that mm. was spoiled before my comic shop even opened. Ugh. Scott becoming the Phoenix was cool to see how differently he would have hold on, held on to that power and wrestle with it, the, the self-awareness that he had mm. with the impulses that it was giving. It was a great character story, which I guess is the best you can hope for in a what-if rapper. You yeah. Know, like, like, obviously nothing plot-wise is going to happen except for the end, wherever we go, whatever the last thing is. But a character story that really dives in and plays with these people and, and plays out yeah. their motivations, that's the best. And, and plus the art is amazing. I right. love Bernard Chang's art. 
I love the colors too. I think that they're doing a really good differentiation between the flashback and what's happening in the actual story. I liked that, you know, if we're going to see someone else with the Phoenix, it was really cool to see Wolverine get to use that in a vengeance type of way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, to just see it play out in a different way than we've otherwise seen. It's interesting that next issue is going to be with Maddie and how they have just so recently reconciled Mm. their beef in Dark Web. And, okay, would that be different if we played it out differently at the beginning? If if we were never at odds or if, I don't know, we we figured out what we could and couldn't be? It is only four issues. I'm just confirming that now. So one more after that. Are you going to tell me what you think the answer is now? I've been waiting since the beginning of the episode where you're like, I think I know what the key is. Well, well like the, the where I went wrong. Yeah. I think it makes sense to have it be when she left the council. Oh, uh, yeah. You have said that to me before. Because she has regretted that ever since she did it. And the influence of the villains and how that then turned things much, much more, like much further than anybody could have predicted Colossus doing all of his manipulations, Sinister not being able to have everything put forward. I, I just feel like it makes sense. I hear you. I agree with you. And it also connects to the Krakoan era. A hundred percent. I still hate it because I like, as soon as you started saying that, I got these like knots in my stomach again of like, I hate the idea that one person is going to change something they did in the past and that is going to solve the problems of the future. Like, I just I just don't like it and I I'm going to let it play out and I'm going to let it see but it just feels like is that going to negate everything else that everyone else is doing? We shall see. We shall see. <sighs> Head of Dabbler said that the Jean Grey series is giving me serious Trial of Magneto vibes, which I don't know if that's a positive thing. I, I Which Trial of Magneto? I would imagine that they're meaning the more recent one that was not actually a trial, more of like a tribulation, but it also was like a, a magical play out, right? Mm. You know, Scarlet Witch doing the the three heads of possibility and and the Kaijus and all that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the original trial of Magneto was Magneto facing crimes. Right. Saying I'm not a bad guy. I was a baby and now I'm reborn. I got reborn. Yeah. I was the old me. I wasn't a fan of Trial of Magneto. There were parts of it that I really liked, but I think that overall it should have just continued and helped to close out X-Factor. But that's just a deep-seated feeling that I carry with me on a regular basis. (laughs) Vaderino points out that with all of these looks at possibilities, is this almost Moira-esque? I mean, these realities are wiped out once Gene decides that failed. It's interesting because I don't... Are these alternate realities or are these like her playing out... I'm curious of that because I don't know. I don't know how, you know, because the the white hot room, which we are kind of taking as red as where she's doing this from. Mm -hmm. Phoenix influenced the fact that when things are blown apart, there is like a a whiteness to the room around her. Right. The area around her. It's outside time and space. Right. So it's outside the existence of the 616 reality. So it's just it could be alternate versions of. Right. Like, is it. Mm-hmm. Is it realities or is it like she has the power to play this scenario? But it's interesting because we just watched Everything Everywhere all at once. Right. Which this, when I did my recap post this week, it feels like very much so that, mm. right? The 
one choice different leading to a branch reality and how all of those are possibilities in the multiverse of realities. So these very well could be alternate realities where she made this one choice differently. Butterfly effect. Yeah. And the distance from was relative to how much it affected. Interesting. Mm. J.R. Matt and D wants to know, where did Gene go wrong? We'll find out in two more issues. We d- we all want to know. We'll- yeah. It's interesting that like there could be an argument for each of these points. And I feel like that's the point is mm-hmm. to, to figure out, okay, this could be something that she had done wrong. I ultimately... It's, it's weird because you want to solve that one problem. Right? right. The Orcus being able to sneak up and take over and all these things and, and being able to soft launch power against the Krukoan team. I just think it's interesting. Like I liked at one point there was a conversation about is this about her solving the problem of Orcus or is this about her solving the problem of her death or not knowing that Moira was coming for her or whatever because that we don't really know I guess like the idea of her not leaving the council could have changed the outcome of the choices of Krakoa but at the same time think about like Storm's involvement and Kate's involvement and obviously Colossus is different but Nightcrawler's involvement like would the one vote that Jean had really be able to have swayed all those things like Shaw manipulating the council to and to get people to vote the way that he wanted when and the manipulations of Mystique and Emma to get Destiny on the council like would all of those things not have happened if just if Jean stayed on the council like I feel like one I mean, action by one person, I guess, could ripple effect into the changing of everything. I but think that that's what the first issue was about. Just how wildly different the world was with that one small choice. That was a lot. I mean, that was a big impact because it was a lot of information that was then carried forward. But to be another one of Xavier's children, as he called them initially, right? To, to be that voice of heart and reason to to be the compassion that would continue to interrogate the problems and, you know, might have led to destiny not becoming on the council, might have led to definitely Colossus not becoming on the council. Would she have been able to suspect Sinister before he... And I know you hate it because it's undoing potentially those stories. I don't know how it's going to end. Well, it's not... It's not just the undoing of those stories that I hate. It's the that one person saves everyone. Like, I like the idea of individuals having their moments. Like, I think the way that Jean handled the Hellfire Gala was incredible. And it was like a great character moment for her. And I'd love to see her be able to come back and help in the battle of Orcus. But, like... I, I just like I wouldn't like it if like Kate was the only one to destroy all of Orcus or you know Emma was the only one like I think the thing that I like is that there are factions and teams and working and I I hate time travel changing everything and solving the problem so I don't like the idea that one person can change one decision and it saves everything hmm hmm wants to know what is the point of the Jean Grey miniseries. <laughs> and that's a great question. Uh, I don't know that we know that yet. Mm. I feel like it is a, a service to Jean Grey fans mm-hmm. to be able to have a classic Jean writer 
explore the full history of this character and play out different things mm -hmm. to show the awesome power that she has. You know, it's definitely setting up the Phoenix to come back and right. to do something. It's definitely setting up... I was just looking through some covers, the Immortal X-Men cover for issue 17 that has Jean Grey on the cover with a bunch of different slices of her past feels very connected to it. So it feels like it's going to feed into that issue of Immortal X-Men where it could be her council <laughs> issue. Honestly, that makes me feel like that's the answer more and more. So I'm quitting X-Men. You can't. <laughs> Denied? You're, you're, you're quitting has been denied? That, like, I wish that, that you saying that didn't just fill my entire body with rage, but it filled my entire body with rage. Like, I just put my hood on and hid in my hood, and I feel so mad. Like, I just want to yell right now. And that's, Berserker rage. Like, upsetting, and yeah. I shouldn't feel that way. Jean's a cool character, okay? I said it. She's yeah, it's cool. Just, it's just one person doing But I just, stuff. like... I mean, it's, it's interesting because it connects to the fact that Nightcrawler has an awesome amount of weight on what he could do. And Legion had the ability to make all, you know, everybody at different points seems to have this ability to make a massive difference in the narrative. I'd say Sinister would be on that list. Xavier stepping away and letting other people take control. You know, I don't think that it means that if she did something, she saves and negates everyone else's parts. Mm -hmm. But her not doing that thing makes it so that it doesn't work. Fine. We'll see what happens. We'll I see. still need like a minute. Like I'm really yeah. upset right now. Like when you just said that thing about the cover, I was like, gosh darn it. That's what it's going to be. I'm definitely, so, it definitely I'm is. super pissed. Yay. Warlion shouting out Wheezy's Jean Grey writing ability, focusing on the relationships. The Phoenix being obsessed and thriving on their love is a good callback to Phoenix Resurrection, where Jean was forced to choose between being free of the Phoenix, but Scott remaining dead, or Scott gets resurrected and the Phoenix stays with Jean. Mm -hmm. He loves this role reversal in the issue, Jean being the logical person while Scott being the emotional one ending up showing that whatever happens, these two will always go back to their natural roles and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting character work being teed up with this. And I feel like that's why I'm enjoying it so much. Because even, you know, it, it's like a throwback issue, a throwback series, but with Fall of X connections. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like. Yeah, for sure. And I agree. The writing was really great. And I loved what you pointed out and what Warline's talking about, about the... The through line of the relationship between the three of them and how that how the Phoenix amplifies that relationship was very cool. Speaking about relationships being amplified, wedding bells, bells will be ringing. You can sing and like put your smug little face at me oh, all the time. But this issue, Jerry... Thank you. Yeah, you get me. I love you. I'm so happy to read your work. There was one answer in his interview where Marvel was asking, like, do they have real feelings? And he was like, too soon to determine. <laughs> because I do. I still feel like it's there. I feel like it was seeded in the, a couple of issues before that they were actually developing emotions for each other. Tony is catching feelings. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Emma. Tony. Don't caught. give a. Tony caught feelings issues ago. Like, yeah. Like he is falling hard. Tony's about to be. Hurt. I mean, he says it. Emma Frost is going to break my heart. And yeah. she's like, this is their one allotted time to touch me. Which proves to be false several other times. But yeah, 
whatever. Let's, let's talk about this beautiful Lucas Wernick connecting cover. The oh, other yeah. side of the coin, this wedding issue that you know does not happen at all like it's promoted this is the marketing side of things jerry has often talked about the fact that he was willing to give away the nugget of that they're getting married because there's so much more to the story so much more that this drives marketing that this drives people's conversation curls only picked this issue up so she could have the connected issue well for for okay listen there's this there's the people who are looking at this and going oh my god i love this they're getting married i have to read this issue yeah. then there's people who are going a wedding i want to see a wedding i have to read this issue then there are people who are going what the f is this i have to read this garbage and find out what's happening so they're getting all the all the hits with this. And then it's not garbage and everybody loves it. It's so good. It's so good. Let's get into it. Page turn noise. Straight to the title page. The Invincible Iron Man. Sentenced to life, which is a nice wordplay <laughs> on the two stories that we have through here. Jerry Duggan is the writer. Juan Frigeri, our artist. Brian Valenza, our colorist. Joe Caramagna, the letterer. BC Joe Caramagna. Like I said, Lucas Wernick on our beautiful connecting cover. Brian Valenza was the colorist that I couldn't remember his name that's been doing some really interesting posts on Instagram. Oh. Showing the process of his colors. Cool. Yeah. So check him out if you are interested in learning a little bit more about the process of coloring. <sighs> so listen, Rody's in prison and he's getting a phone call and he doesn't feel comfortable about some, it. Some planted contraband with Tony. <laughs> But not me, from Tony. Right. Don't give me the cell phone. You can put my fingerprints on this. You're going to use this against me. Just take the phone. I love. So, I mean, I've never been. I was talking to Adam about this. I've never been an Iron Man fan. Mm-hmm. I love some of the character moments that it's making me feel for Iron Man. And and Adam was saying about how, like, this is really good for Iron Man comics, too. Mm-hmm. This is probably some of the best it's been in recent years. The fact that he answers the call... I was Iron Man. Hello. Like yes. that is so that's so good. Yes. So Tony's Rhodey's in prison. Tony's at the Hellfire Club. They both have been handed phones and think the other one called them. They're trying to get to the bottom of it, and it turns out that it's a setup. It's it's Phalong's plot so that Tony has to listen to Rhodey dying. Yes. But Wilson has arranged for some villainous muscle. To save him in the prison, this intervention from the kingpin, a word, Mr. Stark, that... When you ask for my help... I give you my help. I follow through with my help. I deliver. I have massive money, and especially the fact that I have all of Emma's assets as well. And now I'm... Indeed. Like, this is not going to be good for anyone later on. (laughs) I spent all your money on the Sandman. He's here. And the living laser, but just call me by my regular name. So now they, so the living laser has got himself arrested and so that he can be there in Arthur. the prison. Yep. And Sandman has sanded his way into the prison. Texas sand is gross. And they, uh, they've thwarted Phalong's plan and he's not too happy about it. He's saved and Phalong is frustrated. He's getting the call from the prison as it's revealed to Rhodey. Oh, who do I have to thank? Well, we'll get a little bit more detail X weeks ago as 
Tony is asking for Wilson's help. I love the moment where Emma is like, you have to ask for it. Like, Wilson wants you to beg. Yeah, yeah. The last box on this page. Of course, if you've read to the end, then you know what it will cost me, which is really interesting for where this story goes mm -hmm. after the fall of X or even right. at the end. I don't know when that's going to play. This series is moving pretty quickly with its plot. Yes, which I love. It's keeping me on my toes. And I also like that these these are connecting issues, right? And in X-Men, we saw Emma get upset that Phelong was there. From the opposite side, too. But, and we didn't, but we also didn't know that Tony had gotten this phone call yeah, previously yeah. and that Phelong was already mad and had already set up Tony, which then leads to making more sense out of the fact that he follows Tony into that room right. because he's trying to work some sort of angle to get what he wants from Tony. So it all is that like unfolding of the story from different perspectives, which is one of my favorite types of storytelling is like you're hearing the same scenario, but from different perspectives. Yeah. Um, Ender's Game. Yeah. If you've ever read Ender's Game, the book that was made into a subpar movie, <laughs> the book much better. Uh, Orson Scott Card is the author, I believe. Ender's Shadow is a second book written from Bean's perspective. One of the main characters of the book, Ender's like right-hand man, it's basically the same story, but from a different perspective. And I didn't think that I would enjoy that. I read it immediately after reading Ender's Game. Mm -hmm. It was so good. Yeah, it's great. Because you get layers of detail and you are they don't have to give you the baseline story because you already know it. So we get this same scenario where Emma is mad that Fei Long is there. She's about to take her ring off. Tony pulls Ms. Kendall into the back room. They have their altercation with some more detail. And more dialogue. Added yeah. in. The, yeah. the reasons why they can't take Phelong down immediately. They need him. They need the information that he has. And they need to know what he's working so that they can build countermeasures. Yes. And we see Phelong walk in. The proposal, the quote-unquote proposal happens. The, the psychic communication between the two of them, using her power but not setting off any alarm, which I think is a little interesting. I, yes. I don't know if this is a deepening rapport between the two of them. And <laughs> I had to put it in there. Now, may I please do this? Yes, do. Enjoy the first and last time you may touch me. Not true. <laughs> well, for the wedding, they also had to make it look real. We'll make see. it look good. A lifetime of faking came in handy for both of us. The next couple covers, they are the dynamic duo on the on the front. Listen, I'm not saying they're not a good team and they don't work well together, but Emma's not in love with Tony Stark. Not yet. Tony Stark is in love with Emma Frost. Great. Agreed. See it. Read it. Ugh. Anyway, we go back out into the club. <laughs> yeah, he's talking up Phelan. Your forced retirement suits me better than the armor. The fact right. that I'm able to just do whatever I want. The reason why I was doing it, I don't know. I'm an, I'm an addict. Addict's going to addict. Right. This note about playing the, the, the alcoholism has been a, a key point mm -hmm. throughout this series, which I think is really interesting and, and a key detail to Tony. Indeed. Am I invited to the wedding? No. No. No, you're not. And, you know, he's like, Phelan's also like, I know you know where Emma is. And Tony says, yeah. He tells him. She's on Mars. He tells him where he, he she could be. You can find her on Mars. Do you really want to know? Because this is just seeding paranoia in Phelan. The fact that they're all up there now with a mutant leader. Right. 
organizing with Storm. I like when he says they're going to revive Mars attacks. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> uh, what's going to happen next? We're going to make an announcement. We're getting married. Emma's going to pound drinks because she can't stand this idea. Oh, it's clear. I died at the gala. This is hell. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. To Vegas. Yes. This X necklace from Forge. Interesting oh. detail that we get. As the two celebrate as any young lovers might. Dinner and dancing and romancing. And then the clothes come off and the armor goes on. Yes. And we we do some secret ops because this is what we're really in Vegas for. We're here for a quote unquote wedding. But what we're really here to do is to steal tech. To steal s- some tech from Stain. And Emma has a detail about a mission for the X-Men, too. Mm. That she's going off and doing her own thing. I imagine that we'll find out more of that. In the X-Men issue. In the next issue of X-Men, yeah. So Tony is stealing a machine that builds other machines, which is really interesting. Indeed. And he has a verified from Captain America delivery driver of Deadpool with a little mustache. He's here. The interview with Jerry was like, I needed someone that could do this and I needed to not have to ask someone if I could take them. So it had to be someone either on the X-Men or in the Unity Squad. And who's not a mutant? And yeah, right. That could just sneak and across and be public. So honored to help Captain America. Yeah, right. And he was like, you know, Deadpool in one issue or in in a one page is really the most that you need from Deadpool. That's so boom, right. there he's he just, goes. He's just there making a silly cameo as he takes this technology back. And and Tony goes back to the hotel to get ready for the wedding. Oh, he's so nervous. He walks in and he sees Miss Kendall, which like I mean she looks good. You don't wear red. Listen, you don't tell them what to do. Sure, they're both wearing red. Sure, I guess. This is how they get married. Look at look, look at look at the smirk back to him. You look wonderful. Yes, I know. Oh, it's there. It's there. I'm I'm not. I'll die on this hill until Jerry proves me otherwise. Ugh, good gravy. But who is our wedding crashing friend? But Phelan. Oh, he had to. He had to come in. We knew he was coming, and we're prepared for this. The trap is this sprung. This is where it gets really exciting. This is, this is really great. I love this image of the two of them in their classic uniforms, busting through his psychic defenses. Yes. Breaking into his mind, searching his memory for this video that he watched early on in the series. Yes. The we're, Howard's message. We're getting the information that Phelong thought he could hide from them. Howard discovered Mysterium. And Phelong is becoming aware of the trap, the fact that someone's messing with his mind. No, don't you worry. Emma, Emma, get it, get it. Emma, Emma, She stops him, but while we're here, let's dive a little deeper. Let's understand who we're dealing with. And he's just a narcissist to the bitter end. The Phelong, he thinks about himself with Iron Man technology. Indeed, and... What is the secret of Phelong's dark past? His parents were mutants and he was upset that he didn't have the power they were born with. Born without powers? He's great in Creed 2.0. This whole time all he wanted to do was be a mutant and he couldn't so instead he decided to take them down out of jealousy. It makes a ton of sense. You think about all of his ambitions towards Mars. The only thing that we've really known about his parents was from X-Men number one by Jerry. The fact that they had stolen a company from him. Mm. They, they strangled their golden goose, I think is actual lifted dialogue yes. that I'm remembering because I've read it so many times. But that that was the last that we heard from them. And 
the fact that now we find out that they were mutants. I imagine that they'll come back again. Because yes, we we've got to learn more about need them. To. Yes. Like, I love I love Fei Long. I yeah. love Fei Long now. Yeah. I just feel like he's so well suited for this antagonist role to Tony, but also this high profile role to the X Men and Orcus, and the fact that it's. Really, the reason why Emma and Tony are being brought together right. is because of Phalong and his machinations. Like, it, it's just really interesting. Yes, I agree. They wrap up their little package. They put his brain back in the box. They bring everybody back to reality where it's happy, happy wedding kisses. He'll remember nothing. He needs to face his crime. They don't kill him. They could kill no, him. No, but they don't. They need him to be facing his crimes, to, to deal with. Orcus will just move on. Right. They'll kill him if we try to expose him for anything. And, and by the way, dear, that uh, medal that your father found that was Mysterium and I just happen to have some of it right here from Forge and we have more of it how much do you need Tony says all of, all it. of it is Tony gonna make a bunch of Iron Man Sentinels out of Mysterium he's gonna make his own Iron Fleet to take on the Stark Sentinels that at least is my prediction yeah and why he wants all of it right because he needs that Mysterium to make an army he needs that machine to make more machines yeah the clues are there Next, Mr. and Mrs. Stark versus Orcus. Blech, Mr. and Mrs. Stark, get out of here. I guess if it's Hazel Kendall, she could be Mrs. Stark, but Emma Frost would never. There are so many books that are X-Men that are tying into the larger Marvel line. And maybe that's why the switch to Tom Brevoort, who mm. was the line editor for the hero yeah, side of things. Yeah, because... Because X-Men is becoming more and more. And then maybe that, you know, like, my heart... Maybe it means that they're not going to dissolve everything that's happened previously. But right. I love this issue. I'm glad it's Book of the Week, honestly. I loved it. It feels weird that an X-Men podcast and an X-Line of the book is championing an invincible Iron Man issue as its favorite issue. But like this has heart. It has character-driven motivations. It's moving quickly with its plot, only spending a page or two on recap that we've seen in other stories that are connecting to it driving our subplots things like Rhodey and his incarceration that deal made with Fisk things that'll play out longer mm -hmm. in the story I genuinely love how much Tony is falling for Emma I know that you're gonna say that she's too good for him and it's true but I no, can no, see no. this slowly worming its way into her heart it is not that she is too good for him it is not. I I will say in the past, I have very strongly been anti-Tony Stark because I think he is an arrogant SOB. He is. Okay? But I just think that Emma is not a wifey. That's not what she is. And I feel like unless I can see Tony in the perspective of, like, I don't know, in, in, in my mind, Tony doesn't, doesn't marry a woman who is a better of him. He, like, and I, I mean, know. I don't know, because I think about, like... He's a businessman. He wants to make the best decision <sighs> for his assets, which his assets are himself and his interests. I just don't, I just don't see Emma... I don't know. I just don't like it. I know. You've made that clear. We'll see how I it plays out. I guess I don't out. have, like, a... I'm trying to put a reason into, yeah, like, yeah. rational words and, like... I don't have it. And I have said in the past, like in the last few issues, okay, I could see it. I think that they do make a good team. I think that this idea of like them both manipulating and like plotting and all of that together is great. And I think that like 
they do have an affection for each other, but I don't see it as like a love. I see it as like a, I don't know, I, like honestly, it feels a mutual m- respect. Yes, which they might not be in love right now, but the amount that they are working together, the amount that they are bouncing off of each other, the amount that they are growing together as a couple, I could see that this business relationship could grow into something legitimate. Whether or not the writer wants to take it that way, which it's completely up to Jerry. Right. But the seeds are there. Right. And I, I'm not saying that I would be completely against that if it was to happen. Like, obviously, I, I have my, like, shtick and I have to be like, you know, Tony and Emma. Like, that's my thing. But also, if it develops into a relationship, I wouldn't be mad about it. What I was upset about was the idea that, like oh, they immediately become partners and then they fall madly in love instantly and then they get married yeah, right, and like right, right. that didn't feel legit to me. But this angle the of it starting out this it. way and like maybe they bond over that, I could get it. on board with that. But I wasn't on board with, oh my God, Mushy, we love each other instantly. Get on board because this happened. Oh, Justin. <laughs> JP Dinomasso wants to know how we feel about Tony and Emma's wedding and what do we think Tony is planning on building? Which I think... We largely kind of is what yeah. is what we were just talking about. Tony and Emma's wedding. I thought, you know, the fact that the covers are in no way, shape, or form what we were expecting, that's great. Yeah. I'm not upset by that. That shouldn't be. No. You're announcing something three months prior. I don't want that to just play out. Right. Show me a twist. Show me a turn. Show me something interesting. The Phalong story. I thought that was wildly interesting. Right. The machine that builds machines and the connection to Mysterium, that feels like it's got to be the plan that they're going right. for. Yes, right? it's the, got to. The covers that I've seen coming up over the next couple issues, this trip out into space that they're doing, the cover that we see at the end of this issue, them taking control or, or making moves in the Hellfire Club. Mm. The, there's the one of them in like space suits, but for some reason Emma's still got her boobs hanging out. It's great. Because she's Emma Frost. Because she's Emma Frost, right? What else would you do? I think that that's where we're going. Remspring thought it was nice to see Emma and Tony getting a win. And the fact that Phalong being a great in Creed makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean by that, right? When yes. I said it earlier? Yeah. Because great in Creed is Sabretooth's son, right? Sabretooth and Mystique's son. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And he's and, not a mutant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was good. And the you know to Remy's point, the one panel of them kissing and Phalong looking on it was a great day and the beginning of the end of the war, which mm. is, it feels kind of fast because of how how soon we've started into this war, but also feels good because a lot of people were like, oh, I'm unhappy with where things went. But you also have to think the beginning of the end, right? That's sure. not saying like the end could take months. And, and there were X weeks that we haven't actually experienced. Right. We've only seen flashbacks right. of. The Pikachu wants to know how we feel about Phalong being so similar to Graydon Creed, or is there more afoot? I think it's wildly interesting motivation, especially for someone that hates mutants so much, right? And it makes sense if, like, it's jealousy. Right. It's, it's jealousy je- that's driving him. And it's jealousy that we see, it's always been a part of his character since the beginning. He's jealous of the mutants for taking Mars from him. Right. He's jealous of his parents for not giving him what they, they had. had. Yeah. And I think the thing is, right, like a lot of the time when we look at X-Men villains, there is this idea of jealousy of mutant power. And we have, you know, we have 
number of villains who are experimenting on mutants, who are making mutants into weapons. We have certain sort of tropes that happen over and over again. And from my perspective as a person who knows of Graydon Creed but did not experience his story firsthand. The Friends of Humanity. Like this I really like because I now, newer readers, newer fans, are getting to experience that story that feels like that's a classic story that that is told. I'm sure there are plenty of humans who are born to mutant parents who wish they were mutants. And then this idea that some of them go bad and take that out. like Get That's angry. an interesting story. And I mean, I think that there are only so many angles that can be taken. So I can understand if it feels overdone or repetitive. But I also think it's a really interesting motivation to see how kind of all of the classic things about x-men villainy are coming together in the umbrella of orcus yeah bruce 33 pointing out how misleading that emma and tony connecting cover is unless it's meant to allude to the future and it's kind of what we were talking about before that was meant to hype the interest mm. meant to put butts in seats you know that's sell the movie and then right. the movie gives you twists and turns right and I was excited by those twists and turns. I understand that if you came out for Emma in a white dress and you see Hazel in a, in a red, red dress, dress and you're like, well, this isn't what I bought tickets for, you might be upset. Mm-hmm. But also if you've were, if you been reading the comics, you know that Emma can't be out in the world as right. Emma. They can't have this big giant wedding right Imagine now. Imagine if Phelan walked in and she was Emma. Right. Like this was all part of the trap. It was intentional. There's definitely more afoot. Mm-hmm. This is all a ploy to capture him. Right. Curls shouting, damn it! I didn't want to like Iron Man, and here <laughs> I am. Curls, you- listen. Girl, I was with you. I was on that train. We need to just cut our losses and accept that we are Iron Man fans now. I'm so sorry. Still we can Jerry cry fans. about it together. Yeah, still Jerry fans. We're Jerry fans. And Jerry's writing a damn good Iron Man book. Yes. And I think that's, that's the key to remember. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that the only insight... To Curls' next question that I have is the conversation with Adam about how well this is being received as someone that has read other Iron Man stories. She's wondering if regular Iron Man fans have been enjoying the X story takeover, mm. which I think is it's hard, right? How much story that comes with the X-Men, but how little you need to know of what's going on other than the recap blurbs that they give you, right? Do Iron Man fans buy... The X-Men story, would mm. they even know that that's the other side of the coin? Maybe you would because you see the the rendezvous and the conversations, the allusions to the fact that Emma's doing things with the X-Men. Okay, yeah. I wonder how much they dive into it. I feel like the the situation with Rhodey, the idea about like Stark Industries, the connection still to Captain America and the other Avengers and some of the other issues, I feel like because it's still is a meaty Iron Man story. It just is the fact that the same writer is writing the X-Men, so he can very easily, like, weave them together. It's a Marvel story. I feel like, yeah, it's... I would hope that people who are reading just Iron Man don't feel like this is a a disservice to Iron Man as a character. No, well, because I just feel like it's so good for Iron Man as a character. Right. You know, I'm just realizing now... That I did not read Avengers this week, mm. which Iron Man is in, and I didn't read the annual, which ends the uh, chaos. Oh, contest! Yeah, contest of chaos. And that likely would have made its way 
onto the episode because of mutants involved. Mm. So maybe we'll catch back up on Patreon. Maybe we'll talk about it next week because there's only a handful of issues. Oh, what are they? Well, we're not there yet. Oh, okay. Vaderino said it has no right to be this good. <laughs> the Vegas trap was chef's kiss. And it was. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is two big schemers, plotters, like tactical people that have been working together over this, you know, ever since Emma was on the cover and she only appears. Right. And, and then like you had that send off to Shiro who was going to other world doing right. his thing. I mean, like Hazel Kendall was seated, like in right. that flashback. Right. Like that was Jerry's just cooking. Yeah. Darren is just a teacher calling out that scene with Kingpin. You have to say it. Shivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, ooh. It reminded me of the issue of X-Men with like, no, we are not aligned. You work for me. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Warline calling out that this was not the first time nor the last time that they would embrace as we see later on. The fact that they do kiss at the wedding. They love each other. I say it. I'll say it again. Get over it. But seriously, the relationship development was the enjoyable part of the past few issues. Then he thinks it went to hell. It feels like we're back to square one and these two feel like they don't know or care about each other. I mean, in a platonic sense and not a romantic sense. So I think the plot took front and center. I don't think that... Tony, we find clearly that Tony cares for and and is smitten with. Mm -hmm. And I think even Emma was more driven by the plot against Phalong, right? The, I'd agree that it was less about their development in their relationship in this issue, more about moving of the pieces in the plan to take down Phalong. But I don't feel like they didn't know each other yeah i don't think they lost any of that ground i just felt like you can't have both of those things be the focus right you Mm -hmm. have you've been seeding that for a couple of issues now and now move forward on the plot it's honestly a really great balance of plot and character story Mm -hmm. to move forward in this title (laughs) anas also calling out i i won both Stark and Blue Marvel discovered Mysterium, as I theorized before, which is true. He called mm-hmm. that out a couple of issues ago, mm-hmm. based on what Ewing was doing in his Ultimates and Defenders books with Blue Marvel and the White Hot Room, mm. which is interesting because I haven't read those titles, but now it's making me want to. Of course, you of must. Course. Add it to the list. I don't have time, but I want <laughs> to find it. Honestly, being sick has been a joy to be able to read some stuff and watch One Piece. Victoria said that the Emma and Tony wedding was Batman 50 all over again. Marketing taking over storytelling, which is interesting, right? So it, that was the, the marketing hype to sell the books versus the story that Jerry had cooked. And that was like he told us that from the start. Mm-hmm. I'm okay giving away the fact that they're going to get married because the story is not as it seems yeah. in the marketing promo. I didn't read Batman 50, but I'll take your word for it. Ikantu said that Tony and Emma's wedding was amazing and Phalong's origin was so sad. Yeah. Like, do you feel some sympathy for Phalong now? No. <laughs> I had to lean in for lean that Lean into the microphone. Not no. at all. I'd agree. I love the wedding. I love this issue. And I'm, I'm here for Phalong as a villain. I mean, it sucks that you're born without powers. It does. But, Get over it. Mm. But he gave himself powers. Yeah. And his genius intellect and his business sense. Like, yeah. Come on. You have powers. You don't need to be a butt face about it. You don't need like, what, what if you had like a lame mutant power? Would you really be great? Yeah. The fact that they talk about how few mutants actually have combat ready powers. Right. That's it. 
That's this week. That's it. Okay, what's next week? Well, are you excited? Because it's a it's a dope week. Okay, well tell me. Three issues. Three issues. Ooh, that's that's a little taste. X Force number forty five. Ooh. Little Colossus and the the Chronicler. I've read the preview pages on all three of these. <laughs> of course you did. X Men number twenty seven. Ooh, the cover on that is Scott with his eyes sewn shut. <laughs> a little update on Prisoner X. Someone yeah. called out. Uh, like that being the basis for another story like the the rebellion of prisoner x or the breakout of prisoner x i can't remember oh my god that image that you posted today where you were like this is just making me want to see scott like go ham on that facility and like destroy them and i was like yes i would love to see that and our final book likely book of the week regardless of how good the other two are immortal x-men number 16 with apocalypse and the phoenix fire around his arm Ooh, that is the hype. You you just you're just calling that right now. Book calling of the week. Calling it right now. Calling it right now. I'm calling it right now. The voice of the people. Okay, well you are not the voice of the people. Calm down. I sing the songs that the people sing. Ay You know what else is coming out next week? God's number one, which I did not remember until Adam pointed it out. He was like, "Are you excited about God's?" I was like, "Honestly, oh. I have no expectations." Like, what is it? What's happening? It's me throwing ten dollars to Jonathan Hickman because see I see what's up. See what's up. I honestly, I didn't even read Ultimate Invasion number four. It came out this week. I haven't read it yet. Well, didn't, didn't care. Not sure if I'm gonna go. You know, like Ultimate Spider-Man has tickled my interest mm-hmm. because it's Ultimate Spider-Man. I have right, every Spider-Man. single issue of that run, both of the titles, but. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's okay, it's, Justin. You don't have to like and read every comic. Oh, I know that. I know that. <laughs> I know I don't. Are you sure? I do know. Okay. There's so many comics I don't buy. Do you know how many comics I don't buy? I should be awarded with my strength. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm such a good person when it comes to the comic book shop. Mm-hmm. I'm so resist- Like, there are so many guys at the shop dropping 100 bucks a week or so. Like, I couldn't do it. How do you even have time to read that many comics? So many people talk about. The fact that there are titles, and I used to do this as a kid. There are titles that I would buy. I didn't even read. What? I just liked the title. I wanted to read them. I just never got around to it. And then sometimes I would read like a run of issues. And then I'd be like, okay, I have five issues in an arc. So I'm just going to sit and read all these. Read all five. Get the full story. by the trade at that point. Exactly. That's logic. That's hindsight. That's wise Justin looking at foolish Justin and laughing. <laughs> the money you spent, foolish boy. Ha, ha, ha. Anyway... Oh, well, you know, that was fun, as always. Until next time, old friend. Charles, how's that island treating you, boy? (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. <laughs>